If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay, because we've got one right there in the pew close by. You can grab that. We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 2 this evening. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read from chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 20. Listen real close to this passage. It's one that's so familiar, oftentimes we tend to just neglect it, but I want you to listen to it and hear what God says through it. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. I'm sure all of you have heard there are boycotts going on of certain companies because they won't say those great words, Merry Christmas, in their ads. And I find it very fascinating because... You know, within our, within our own um, circles, our own world, there are some Christians who don't want us to say Merry Christmas either. Um, there are all kinds of people who seem to have varied opinions over saying Merry Christmas or even talking about Christmas. And I had a conversation the other day with a person about the whole subject of Christmas and the whole discussion of where that word came from and the fact that virtually no one gives any consideration to the fact of where the word Christ Mass came from. No one even gives it a second thought. It's Christmas, and they think about it as that time of the year when people put trees up and wreaths on and all those type of things. And the thing I want us to think about this evening is 
is there something worth getting focused on at this time of the year? Should it really just be a holiday? Is there a reason to focus a day, a season, and call it Christmas? Or as we call it here at our church, the season of the incarnation. Whatever you call it, what's so wonderful about it? What's so special about Christmas? And what's so wonderful about what Christians have to say? Because, after all, there are many celebrations that go on this time of year, right? Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and other such things. What makes us think that there's something especially wonderful about Christmas? And that's really what I want us to talk about tonight. Is there something wonderful about Christmas? And if there is, what's so wonderful about it? And I'd like to propose to you that I personally believe there is something totally wonderful about Christmas. And while I don't think that you can just a day is enough to celebrate what's so wonderful about it, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a day which you set aside to say, I want to focus on what's wonderful about Christmas. I don't think there's anything necessarily mandatory that we have a season that's dedicated to the celebration of Christmas because I think that this deserves much more than just a season. But I think it's totally appropriate to set aside a season to remember what's wonderful about Christmas. So let's look and consider out of this passage what we might think about that makes this wonderful. The first thing I want you to think about is the messengers. Now, whatever you think, whatever you might believe, I want you to just consider the fact that beings that show up that are so bright, they terrify the crud out of shepherds in the field. And I want you just to think about this. If you were the kind of man that basically with a few other of your pals were out there in all manner of weather, there are bears, there are lions, there are all sorts of hazards. You sometimes are having to take your shepherd crook in the dark and go wandering off with a torch to find a sheep that has wandered off or a lamb that has gotten stuck in a hole. These aren't exactly the kind of people that you think are easily frightened. I mean, they, they, these are pretty tough guys. These are seasoned veterans of the wilderness. And it says that these angelic beings show up and scare them to death. I, I love the old King James Version which says they were sore afraid. I still have Linus in my mind when he's telling Charlie Brown. They were sore. You know, you see that little, that little round. They were sore afraid. I mean, you just think about it. it they were so scared it hurt. I don't know if any of you have ever been that afraid, that you literally were scared to death, that you would rather almost die than have to continue to endure what you're enduring. I think that's pretty incredible that that kind of being would show up. I think it's kind of amazing that someone would talk about that sort of being. Now, I want us to think about those messengers that show up because there's a lot of confusion over angels. I mean, 
Angels are very popular in our present culture. I mean, people pray to angels. They have their guardian angels. People get little cards. I know I've been given them before. They give you your special angel pin, which you wear, which reminds you that you have angels watching over you and all other sorts of things. There are all kinds of books written on angels. And let's just say a few things we can say distinctly and positively about angels. First of all, these angels were not the nice bathroom angels. You know what I'm talking about? The little cherubs that, you know, oftentimes people will put up on their walls and they're cute little cherubs. They look kind of like Jameson back there, except they have little wings on, on, on their shoulders. And sometimes they're just completely nude and they're just so dang cute. And you just, you just really love them. And well, that's not the kind of angels that are being discussed here. They're not little cherub angels. Those aren't real angels as far as we know. The other thing I want you to think about is these weren't just smoking hot babes either. You know, oftentimes when angels are, are portrayed in our modern culture, and even in ancient cultures, they were always portrayed as these very voluptuous women in these very um, chiffon type of, of finery that's clinging to their very fit bodies with these beautiful wings and this long flowing hair, and they're just these gorgeous vixens type of, of woman. Well, they're not that either. That's, that's of myth and fairy tale and has more to do with nymphs and other such mythology than what Scripture's speaking to. The thing that I want you to think about is, is that these angels are described as a host. Now, that might not mean much to you in this day and age, but for those of you that have read into ancient history, when a host showed up, it meant basically... A whole army, a vast army of people showed up. And for those of you that have ever seen Lord of the Rings, and you know when the, they're captured and, and they're, they're up, in, up in Helm's Deep and they're all locked up and all these hosts, this vast army of Sauron, the, of the White Hand, are marching towards, and actually it's Saruman, but I'm sorry, but it's it, but not Sauron, but Saruman. I don't know why Tolkien made those two names similar, but anyway, they're marching and there's this huge horde, this vast number that you just see going on and on and on across the screen. Or when you think about Braveheart and you think about the English army as the Scottish army and that little ragtag band standing up on the hill and this English army just keeps going and going and going. It's this host that gives you a better picture than anything else of what's amazingly wonderful about this story is, is that this one being shows up and is so amazing because he's a warrior. And he's surrounded by the glory of the great king of the universe. And when these shepherds see it, they're blown away. I mean, just imagine, if you will, that this being shows up full armor, sword in hand, and says, Behold, I bring you greetings. If that happened to you tonight, even if you were in your car, it'd freak you out. Trust me, it'd blow your brains. That seems to me pretty wonderful to think 
that something like that would happen. Now, we tend to think about wonderful always just in the sense of really cool or that's awesome or that's amazing. But wonder oftentimes can be something that just boggles the imagination. It, it just It's almost beyond word to describe. It's just wonderful. And so what I want you to see is the first thing that this passage, this part of Scripture begins to say to us is, is that the beings that showed up to tell these shepherds what was going on in an obscure village, in an obscure part of the Roman Empire, were beings that were wonderful and amazing. The second thing I want us to look at then is the recipients. I want you to notice that in every single situation throughout chapter 2, all we get, and really chapter 1 as well, is we get this discussion of people who basically are, from the world's perspective, insignificant, despised. I want you to think about that. Insignificant people. Who are Mary and Joseph? I mean, think about how the passage begins in chapter 2. In the time of... Caesar Augustus. Now we all know who Caesar Augustus is. He's, he's Julius Caesar's nephew. He's the first great emperor of Rome. We know who he is. If we had lived in that time, we certainly would have known who the governor of this particular area was. Those people kind of matter. I mean, think about it from our perspective. If I say George W. Bush... Everybody in this room knows who I'm talking about. If I say my neighbor's name, Dan Kester, he's pretty insignificant to virtually everyone in this room. Who's that? Dennis's neighbor. Who's Dennis? And who really cares? Do you see, in some sense, what's sort of wonderful about this passage is the idea that insignificant people all of a sudden seem to matter. And you might say, well, of course Mary and Joseph matter. I mean, Joseph is going to be Jesus' stepfather. He's going to raise him. Well, of course he matters to the story. And you can kind of get, well, Mary sort of matters. She's kind of the woman bearing this child. But what of these shepherds out in the fields? How significant are they really? I mean, think about it, folks. David was a shepherd. And if you remember the story from Samuel, if you don't, I'll remind you, David was the youngest son of Jesse. Out of all these boys Jesse had, some nine kids, I believe, David was the baby. And guess who was out watching the sheep? David. Do you get the picture of what society thought about shepherds? They couldn't even testify in court. That's how esteemed and valued they were in the society that the angel comes and declares them. So think about it. The angel shows up to tell people whose testimony is worthless in the courts of that day. And yet, the story says, insignificant, despised people matter. But it doesn't stop there. We we also see 
in this passage the idea that people who are indifferent. Think of it, all the people in this passage who don't know what's going on. They have no idea. I mean, what did it already tell us? Joseph took Mary into the stable because there was not any room found for him in the inn. Now, most of us have enough decency that if we were to see a woman who was great with child, we'd probably at least give her a chair to sit in, or if we were sitting down, we would help her. We would do something to try and ease, but realize that many of these people may have been asleep. I'm not trying to paint the picture that they were mean or callous. I'm just saying that they were sort of indifferent. They were going about their regular evening business. It's just another woman out there giving birth to yet another child into yet another obscure place. What does it really matter? Just indifferent. But do you see that this passage actually begins to tell us, the angel's message says, and this shall be for all the people. All the people. Even those who were indifferent. Even those who didn't really care at the time. That's pretty wonderful that someone would actually care so much to say this message is even for those of you who could care less. But it's not just to them. The passage goes even further and it says that another group of recipients when the angels begin to speak is this group it says here in the passage um, And suddenly, in verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Now the idea there is that it's for the whole world. There's a certain universality to this statement which says, Everybody everywhere. This is a message for them to hear. Now, as is often true in Scripture, within that universality of message, there's always a caveat, because the caveat, which is often not on Christmas cards, it usually just says, peace to men on earth. But there's a caveat there. It says, with whom those with whom God has found favor, or on those whom God has shown His grace or His mercy. That's the same idea. But the idea here is that... that The recipients of this message were people who were indifferent, people who were far off, people who had no idea, people who weren't even affiliated with Jews or had any idea about who David was and could really care less. And it was also for people who were despised and people who society said were insignificant. Now, it seems to me that that's a pretty wonderful message. That it would care about that broad a range of people. That seems to be something we ought to at least give a little bit of attention to. But the third and final thing I want us to notice is the message itself. I want you to notice what the angels begin to say. The idea that the passage wants you to understand when the angels show up. And in verse 9 it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and, and the glory of the Lord shone around him, and they were filled with fear. The idea I want you to think about is, for those of you that have ever read any of the stories in the Chronicles of Narnia, 
one of the one of the great lines that's constantly being used there, and if you've seen the movie, it's even used in the movie, rightly so. Aslan is on the move. And that's the very idea that this passage wants you to get when the angel shows up. God is on the move. Something amazing is happening. This woman and this man, not all that unusual, traveling to a place to be counted, have given birth to a child. You know, we oftentimes think, well, Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and that must have been really significant. It's pretty normal. That's what you kind of did. It's kind of like when you take our babies home and we throw a diaper on them, and we have that very careful way we wrap them up in their blankets. And, and I don't know what the prevailing wisdom of the day is. Back when we were around, you know, you'd put the little triangle wedge there, and you'd lay the baby on their side so they didn't fall over. And then I've been told, that's right out. And then I've been told it was right back in. And I don't know what all the wrappings of... But what I want you to understand is, is that when the angel shows up, there's nothing all that incredible about saying, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. It would have been pretty normal that if you'd have gone to virtually any house in Bethlehem where a baby that was newborn or close to it was around, it would have been wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now what may have been distinct is, is that most of them wouldn't have been lying in a manger. But nevertheless, women gave birth all the time in places wherever labor came upon them. If they happened to be traveling, unfortunately, that's where they gave birth. That's where they wrapped the child up. Hopefully they lived and survived it, as often they did not. But the thing I want you to think about is, is that the idea here is that here's this event that takes place, and now the angel says, because of that event, I want you to know that God is on the move. And so what does he say to them? The first thing he says to them is what you would seem normal. If God shows up, if some kind of being which is nothing like us shows up, you would expect people to be rather afraid. That fear would grip them. And the, the amazing thing is this angel doesn't say, that's right, cower. You vile, wicked, low-down, despised, disgusting sheep herders. Because I'm a messenger of God. No, instead, he says, pluck up your courage, men. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Now, that's pretty amazing. When you consider who we are. I mean, we're just people. And the glory of God is around us. And what is being told of these men is, don't be afraid. Your natural inclination, do everything you can to fight it because I've come to give you a message that's supposed to give you joy. Now again, think about this. Shepherds out in the field at night, it's cold, it's damp, it's lonely. It's not exactly the occupation you're striving for. I think about that 
that idea of uh, what is it that commercial always says, you know, no child ever grows up saying, I want to be a drug dealer, where I think back in this day and age, it would have said, no, if the commercial could have been given, it would have said, no child ever wants to grow up to be a shepherd. That was not, ex- I mean, trash collectors were probably a much better profession than being a shepherd. I want you just to consider that and understand that. Shepherds were a despised group of people, and the angel says, do not be afraid. There's good news coming to you. The other thing I want you to see about this message is, is that they're told very distinct things in this message. And here's the things that are they're told, that it's in the city of David, that a Savior has come, that He's Christ, and He's the Lord. And here's what I want you to think about this. David's city meant something to the Jewish people. It meant this. David was the great king of Israel. And if a child was born there, that meant that royalty must be back. Real royalty. God sent royalty must be back. In the city of David, a child is born. The other thing I want you to think about is they're told that he's a savior. These are words that were reserved for Caesar. Who could save like Caesar? Well, no one. Who could bring legions? Well, no one. And yet these shepherds are told, I want you to know that a Savior has been born. One who is able to do even greater than Caesar. Not only is He a Savior, but He's also anointed of God. Now that wouldn't have meant much in the Roman world, but to the Jewish mind, that would have meant everything. The Christ, the anointed one, That meant that God had specifically selected this one like no other. And the final thing we're told there is, He's the Lord. And what that would mainly mean for us, the idea again would be the only person that used the term Lord in that day and age was Caesar. To have said anyone else was Lord was blasphemy of the worst kind. Both in the Jewish culture, because you would have been saying someone was God... And in the Roman culture, you would have been suggesting someone was Caesar besides Caesar. Now, do you see how amazing this message is to these shepherds? There is a child born who is royal, who is selected by God, appointed by Him. He's able to march out with an army like no other. And He is the long-awaited Lord and King, God Himself, come to earth. That's what was told to these shepherds. And to verify that this child was who this angel clarified, the legion shows up. Not just a legion, but legions upon legions upon legions. That's why it says a multitude of multitudes was seen in the heavens to let them know that this child had an army like no other standing behind him. Amazing. Wonderful. Incredible. The final thing I want you to think about is this. I want you to consider this as we conclude. What's so wonderful? Well, I want you to think about this because I don't know where everybody in this room is in their life, but I want you to at least consider this. Maybe you're a person who says, I'm pretty insignificant. I don't seem to really matter in this world. 
My job's pretty insignificant. Quite frankly, if I died tonight, they'd find another, another widget maker to take my place. I'm not all that important. I'm not all that significant. Maybe you're a person who feels despised. I'm just really not worth anything at all. My family tells me so. My employers tell me so. Maybe I can't get a job because I'm basically just not worth hiring. Maybe you're a person tonight who's been pretty much indifferent. God, okay, great. Yeah, I've heard about Jesus. That's interesting. Maybe you're a person tonight who really has never given any consideration to it. You're distant. You just haven't really ever been told anything, at least not directly. Do you understand tonight that what you're seeing in this passage is the fact that you've been thought about? What the angel is saying is is that everyone in this room has been considered before you were ever born. And the fact that you're here tonight means that what was said is true in this passage of those whom God has shown favor. Because see, tonight, every one of you has been shown favor. Why? Because you've had the privilege of hearing what's so wonderful about Christmas. And that sort of leaves you with a place to make a decision. Is this thing really, truly wonderful? And is this wonderful message that God has actually come to show forth His glory to us, to actually move among us, to care about us, to be willing to change us. Is that something that you actually tonight would be willing to say, that is wonderful. And that is something that I want to lay hold of. And tonight you can do that. Tonight you could celebrate Christmas Eve if you've never celebrated it truly, by saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a person who desperately needs to be considered. Because I haven't thought much of myself, and I know myself to be a person who does things wrong. And I don't have any answers for that. And I don't seem to have any ability to stop it. You tonight could say, I know that's the truth about me. And you could then say, Lord Jesus, you came as a child, but you didn't stay there. Because that's not the whole story. The whole story is is that that individual, Jesus, grew up, lived a perfect life that none of us could ever live, died a death that every one of us deserved to die, and didn't stay in that grave. He rose from the dead and ascended in heaven. And that may sound fantastic and incredible, but see, here's the whole point. If you can believe that God became a baby, how hard is it to believe that He he died on a cross and rose from the dead? That's not that hard to believe. If you can believe that God cared about you so much that He'd come and unite Himself to be one of us, then what is it for God to have basically lived here and done all the things that the rest of the Gospel of Luke tells us. If tonight you would do that, I would ask that you would bow your head with me and pray that Jesus would open your heart so that you might believe and trust in Him and that you might be a different person, that you might from here on say, there's something wonderful 
about Christmas. Let's bow our heads for a moment. And if you want to, you just pray this prayer with me. Lord, I tell you now that I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I cannot be perfect enough. I cannot do anything to come to have a relationship with you. And that's exactly why you came to us as a baby. And I right now confess that I'm a sinner and that I need you. And I accept that you have done everything necessary in the person of Jesus to enable me to know you and to love you and to live with you both in this life now and in eternity. And I give myself to you completely. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope if you prayed that prayer tonight that you will come and tell me before you leave this evening. I hope for those of you that have given your life to Christ again, you will have been reminded and refreshed this night about Christ and how wonderful Christmas truly is.